It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Thank you for joining us for a Thursday edition of our podcast, which I am fortunate, um, or to borrow my wife and Mary Langston's word, blessed to uh, do with Mary Langston. Thank you for putting up with me for however long it's been, Mary Langston. Thank you for putting up with me, Trey, and thanks for having me. Oh, it hadn't been that hard, to be honest with you. <laughs> I mean, some weeks are kind of a grind, but on balance, it hadn't been that hard, honestly. Yeah, I was going to say, I guess it depends on the day. Not really, not with you. No, it's it's pretty universally good. Welcome well, back to the United States that. of America. Well, thank you. It's good to be back. I was counting down the days and thankful for the opportunity to go and thankful for the opportunity to be back. Yeah, well, I was actually not thankful that you had the opportunity to go. <laughs> and if it suits you, fine. I just assume you not leave the country again. I mean, you can go the afternoon my funeral if you'd like to. But until then, it I prefer it if you're not. Well, we won't talk about your funeral, but my dad did say, he said, well, you can see the flowers here in South Carolina. You don't have to go away. Oh, dear so Lord, please can tell relate. me. Please don't tell me you went to Europe to see flowers. Well, not necessarily. I went to see my friend who lives there, but, you know, she said the flowers were amazing. So we added that part to the trip. Uh, well, you know, I'm not like super tech savvy. I do think they have this brand new thing called FaceTime where you can actually <laughs> look at your friends no matter where they may be. And it's like being there. That's true. But I have a problem because I don't like to be on video. So I'm much better in person. Oh, but a Lord. lot of people wow. enjoy the FaceTime thing, especially people my age and younger. They live by FaceTime. Yeah, I don't like it. I think it ought to be outlawed. But but I, but your generation, I mean, y'all y'all know how to Skype and and all that stuff. But in any event, we're very very happy that you are back, uh, Terry. And I missed you uh, terribly while you were gone. And uh, and again, if it suits you, fine. Um, just don't go anywhere for the next however long however long I got. <laughs> Well, hopefully you're here for a long time and I'm planning to be around for a while. So I'm glad to be back and glad to see it. We have a lot of questions today, Trey. I mean, there's March Madness going on. We'll end with some sports and then we have some sad news. Um, so we're all over the board today with questions. Well, sadness uh, is uh, I have been used to it. So mm -hmm. um, and yes, this week, yet yet another. I suspect you're talking about the school shooting. Um, mm -hmm. but I mean, we seem to talk about those a lot, but I don't want to foreshadow or predict. I'll let you ask the questions and I'll do my very best to answer them. Okay. Well, we'll start on the sadder note um, because it's been so heartbreaking in the news. We'll start with a question from Stuart and he writes, Trey referred to evidence-based solutions on America reports. I understand the range of ideas and potential solutions this might involve, but what can I do as a citizen to realistically help? And he's talking about the shootings. Yeah, Stuart, I mean, that's a great question. I mean, so what do we know? Um, I, I like to traffic in evidence as opposed to opinion and innuendo and surmise and conjecture. I just I, I like 
evidence. And sometimes the evidence takes you in different directions. And sometimes the evidence or the facts can change. Um, but we have to be open to it. And that includes me. So, I mean, this is, I think, fairly commonly accepted by people who study mass shootings and particular school shootings. Most shooters have suicidal or homicidal ideations. And and that actually makes sense. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a psychologist. But um, and I'm going to use a word that's probably going to make psychologists and psychiatrists mad. Um, but that's OK. Um, normal people do not kill innocent strangers. I hope that's not too provocative of a comment for people. I, I know that folks that practice psychiatry and psychology do, do not like me using the word normal. I, I understand that. Um, but in spite of their not liking it, I'm going to say it again. Normal people do not kill children. And the, the, the chances are great that not a one of us, not a one of us knows the soul who could possibly walk into a classroom and shoot teachers or custodians or school officials or children. We don't know a soul that can do that. But most shooters have suicidal or homicidal ideations. Okay. Most signal what they are thinking of doing before they do it to someone, whether it's a parent, whether it's a friend, whether it's a boyfriend or a girlfriend. This mass shooting was a little bit unusual and that the overwhelming majority of them are are done by males. Uh, this one was not, but the overwhelming majority are. Most, not all, but most of the guns purchased that are used in mass shootings were purchased lawfully. Okay, so why, why does that matter? So I have in the past and still, you know, for different reasons, but I still think we should enforce our current gun laws. I think we should. And that's, you know, that was kind of the mantra when I was in D.C. Um, and it and, and that's a fact. We should. Um, gun prosecutions uh, go down some years. I, I I don't understand why. I, as you know, I used to be a gun prosecutor. Those cases are, are challenging to prosecute um, because they're oftentimes um, there's no there's no injury. It's the possession, the purchase or the possession of a firearm. So those are challenging, um, but most guns are purchased lawfully. So then the other thing we need to ask ourselves is if they're purchased lawfully, were they possessed at the time of the incident lawfully? And this, I think, is maybe getting to what Stuart may have picked up on uh, when I was on with, with Sandra and John. The fact that you purchase a firearm five years ago lawfully does not mean that you are currently possessing it lawfully. There are large categories of people who cannot lawfully possess a firearm, including people who have been adjudicated mentally ill. All right. But the key word there is adjudicated. So what if you are mentally ill, but you have not been adjudicated, not been before a judge, not been before someone who has the imprimatur of the state and said, you are mentally ill. The, the over, I cannot recall. I asked for the stats one time. I know I did a ton of gun prosecutions. I never prosecuted someone under that statute, the, the mentally ill statute. And when I asked for the numbers back when I was in the House, the numbers were anemic at how few prosecutions there are for people who are um, possessing, so it's got nothing to do with when you purchased it. 
you can purchase it 10 years ago and then become um, adjudicated mentally ill, and therefore you're not lawfully in possession of it at that time. But how many people go before judges to have an adjudication as, as it relates to their mental health? Almost no one. So you have a family member, a friend, or someone who knows this, we'll say young man, because it's almost always a young man. This young man is not well. They're, they're not well. So then we get into the whole you know, red flag, which is, again, I find that whole debate to be astonishing and not in a good way. I'm sure you know this, Mary Langston. Um, the state of South Carolina can take part of your front yard if they want to widen the street that you live on. They got to pay you for it. And you're entitled to a jury trial, but they can take part of your front yard for a road or they can take your property for a school. They can take your property for an airport. It's in the Constitution. So it's not like I made this up. They, they have to pay you for it, but they can take your property. We know they can take your freedom. It happens all day, every day in courts. The state or the United States takes someone's freedom after due process has been afforded. We call it a trial. Or if you plead guilty, they can take your life in states that have the death penalty. The state can take your life so they can take your property. They can take your liberty. They can take your life after due process. And yet there are some who argue, but they can't take a gun from someone who is mentally ill. I just find that dumbfounding. They can take your land. They can take your money. They can take your liberty and they can take your life but even though you have suicidal and homicidal ideations or suicidal or homicidal ideations or or both somehow or another it's a due process violation for them to take your gun it is it is utterly nonsensical so all right so what else do we know based on the evidence i am a big believer in police presence i i and, and so probably are most of our listeners you you put a squad car in a place of business, people act better. You put a squad car on the side of the road, people drive better. The data actually does not support that police presence is the deterrent that we think it would be. So when I say people need to be open to the evidence, I'm I'm including myself. For the longest time, I thought, well, if we have more of a law, enfo law, law enforcement presence at schools, and, and, and that's the thing about deterrent. We don't know what didn't happen. So we don't know who was thinking about doing something but was deterred. We'll never know that. But there are shootings, um, even at schools, where there is a robust police presence. All right, what else do we know? Most of the laws proposed, most of the ones that were proposed when I was there and most of the ones that I hear about now would not stop past or future mass shootings. So, and that's what frustrates people. And, and so we know that there is a problem. When children are being killed, when they're trying to learn to read and write, that is a problem. And it's been going on for decades. I mean, Columbine's almost 25 years ago. Sandy Hook is over a decade ago. And, and we still have, if anything, an increase in school shootings. So there is a desire for a legislative remedy. Most of the legislation that I have reviewed would not stop the next mass shooting. What else do we know? I mean, magazine capacity may well limit 
if you were to do something on the magazine capacity side of things, it may well limit the number of victims, but it may not limit the number of incidents. The death toll would be lower, likely. But I don't think anyone would be satisfied with the notion that only 6 to 12 children were killed as opposed to 20 to 30. Yes, you want as few casualties as possible. That, that, is, that is a universally accurate statement. But if you're talking about limiting the incidents, I don't know the magazine capacity is going to help. There are people that are deeply, deeply troubled. And I'm going to go back and say what I said at the beginning at the risk of making people in the mental health feel uh, upset with me. Normal people do not do what we are talking about. They just don't. And we can quarrel about the definition of normal and we can get out the DMSR or whatever it's called that tells people what they have. But anyone who is capable of hurting, frankly, anyone that's innocent, but especially a child, that is a deeply troubled person. Someone knows that they are deeply troubled. Someone may very well know, at least based on the on the evidence, may know what they are planning to do. So how do we stop it? So his question was, look, he, he's a citizen. He's fed up with it. He is fed up with it. And so am I. And so I suspect are most other people. The legislation, um, I continue to be open. I said it on television. I'm not talking about anybody else's rights. They can do what they want to with their rights. I, I, I would, I, there's not a right I have that I would not give up if it kept a child alive. I'm not talking about my own. I'm talking about other people's children. I just, I just cannot imagine us accepting as a consequence of living in a free society that children are going to be killed at school. I just, I, I refuse to accept that. So. Uh, we have to find a way to identify those who are capable of hurting others and separate them from society or separate them from a means of inflicting harm. And I know that sounds draconian, and I know that, that there will be folks that don't like that. But in the hierarchy of rights, at least as I were to list them, their right to stay alive it's pretty high up there. In fact, it's above all the rest of them. Mm. The right to stay alive. I can't think of a single right we have that is of any use at all if you are laying in the ground. So what can you do, Stuart? You know, what you can do is tell your elected officials that you are sick of seeing dead children. I mean, I assume, Stuart, that you are not in office um, and I don't just mean Congress either. I mean, the solutions don't just exist in Washington. They exist even on the local level. So you need to tell people that are in positions of responsibility that normal people do not do this. Um, and if that's a politically incorrect way of phrasing it, I don't care. Normal people don't do this. So find out who the people that are capable of doing this are. You can impose responsibilities. Look, teachers have responsibilities to report child abuse. Pediatricians probably have responsibilities to report child abuse. There is a prosecution ongoing right now involving a school shooting where the parents knew about it ahead of time and didn't do a doggone thing, allegedly, to stop it. You can impose legal responsibilities, but you have got 
to either separate people. It is a very small group of people who are capable of doing this, an exceedingly small group. But you got to separate them from either a means of effectuating the harm or separate them from the rest of society. And for all the civil libertarians out there, I don't care. I don't care that you're upset with me. Because, again, you go back to your hierarchy of rights, the right to stay alive if you're a six or seven-year-old trying to learn to read and write is pretty high up the list for me. Well, well said, Trey, and thank you, Stuart, for this question. We're going to hold it right there. Be back right after this. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Our next question is from Henry in Alabama. He writes, does the majority leader in the Senate and the Speaker of the House have total control on which proposed bills get to the floor for a vote? Uh, thank you for that question. Yes, uh, you're making me go back and think about a very challenging time period in my life. Uh, yes, the Speaker does in the House, subject to a few matters which are considered privileged and may be brought or subject. Yeah, no, they may be brought. Or there are matters that are subject to be what's called a discharge petition. But on balance, the speaker controls the legislative calendar, working in conjunction, of course, with the committee chairs and the rules committee. So I would say 90 plus percent of the time it is the speaker. There are episodic exceptions to that. On the Senate side, I'm a little bit out of my realm here. Uh, the Senate Majority Leader has at least, if not more, control over the calendar than the Speaker. I don't know that they have discharged petitions or privileged resolutions on the Senate side. I do think, do not hold me to this, I wouldn't bet a lot, but I do think a bill can be brought if a majority of the senators support it, even if the Majority Leader does not. But again, do not hold me to that. On balance, it is accurate to say the speaker and the majority leader have a very, very disproportionately large influence on the legislative calendar. Yes. And it seems like we would live by that calendar every year. Who, you and I? Mm-hmm. We would print it out and put it by our desk. And Guess what I still do? One. Do you still do that? I still use that calendar. I just, I got so used to using it. And it also helps me know if I'm, you know, calling, I don't have a ton of folks I still know in the house anymore. They're either in the Senate or they're out, but it helps me know whether I'm calling them while they're in session or not, or, you know, I'm not going to call McCarthy on a Wednesday when he's in session. I'll wait till he's out, but that is still the calendar I use. I'm looking at it right now. That That's the <laughs> That's the calendar I use is the old house calendar. <laughs> well, thank you so much for answering that question, Trey. And thank you, Henry. Our next question is from Bobby in South Carolina. He writes, can you give a detailed explanation of beyond a reasonable doubt in a jury's duties? And was this met in the Murdoch case? Oh, dear Lord, Bobby, you are asking me a question that has vexed judges and lawyers um, for a long, long time. What does that phrase beyond a reasonable doubt mean? Uh, we'll just start with the easy part. Uh, there is no detailed definition. In fact, some courts will not even allow the lawyers to try to define it 
Now, when you get to jury instructions, which is the judge telling the jury what the law is, some judges try to define reasonable doubt. Others do not. There are some old Supreme Court cases that are pretty you know, fascinating to look at. Um, they describe it in a variety of ways. I'll give you some. Such doubt as would give rise to a grave uncertainty raised in your mind by reasons of the unsatisfactory character of the evidence or lack thereof. Some people refer to it as moral certainty. Um, what Here's what I can tell you for sure. It is not mathematical certainty. You do not have to prove something beyond doubt. Um, I used to hear people say, you know, prove it beyond a shadow of a doubt. You don't have to do that either. It is beyond a reasonable doubt. And even that, judges and lawyers and even the Supreme Court has struggled mightily with what that means. Uh, they used to say it's a doubt that would cause a reasonable person to hesitate to act. But I don't have a clue what that means. I mean, there are lots of times I hesitate to act and then I go ahead and do it. Usually, if my like my wife's holding her hand out or telling me not to do something or not to say something, I do hesitate for a second, but then I do it anyway. So I don't have a clue what that means. Cause a reasonable person. I mean, what's a reasonable person? Justice Ginsburg, and I think it was a concurrence. So it's not the main opinion. I don't think it was a dissent. I think it was a concurrence. Justice Ginsburg came up with kind of a two-word definition that a lot of judges and lawyers use now. And those two words are firmly convinced. Are you firmly convinced? That's also not a whole lot of help because usually, I mean, if I'm convinced, then I don't know what firmly means. I mean, convinced is pretty strong. I'm convinced. So what does it mean to be firmly convinced? I like to think of it kind of on a scale of one to 100. I don't think any judge in the world would ever let me get away with saying this in court. So I never tried. I'll just, I'll, I'll tell you right now, Bobby, I never, ever, ever tried to define it for a jury. Never. I never used the phrase, quite frankly. I always said, you know, Use your common sense. Um, it serves you well in every other facet of life. And I would say, you know, the evidence shows or the evidence is overwhelming. But I never once in what, close to 100 jury trials, never tried to define reasonable doubt because I don't have a clue what it means. Mm -hmm. Firmly convinced probably comes as close. I don't know what a moral certainty is. I mean, I guess, I mean, is that different from an immoral certainty? Is that different from a moral almost certainty. I have no idea what that means, but they used to use that phrase a lot. Here's one. A reasonable doubt is a doubt that would cause a reasonably careful and sensible person to hesitate before acting upon a matter of importance in his or her own affairs. Okay. I have no idea what that means. It sounds beautiful. I mean, it sounds poetic. I just have no idea what that means, but that's straight out of a Supreme Court case um, or a model jury instruction on the definition of reasonable doubt. So let's go firmly convinced. Um, 
was it met in Alex Murdoch's case? It will not be reversed on appeal for that reason. I will tell you that. Um, I am not a good person to ask, Bobby. Every white hair I have on my head, which is all of them, was from worrying that I had not proven something. Every one of them, because I am wired to see doubt. I just, I just am. Some people are not. I am wired to see doubt. I, I used to, and that is not uh, that is not bragging. That is more of a confession. That that I'm not happy about that. But that's just the way my mind works. I see the shadows, and I see what could be, and I try to prove it to a certitude, to a certainty, even though that's not required. I used to sit, uh, Cindy Crick and I would try cases together, and we would, after we did closing argument and after the jury instruction, uh, we would write out what we thought the verdict would be. And almost, I'd say at least half the time, for sure, I thought the verdict would be not guilty because I just saw a loose end there or a loose end there, and and I was always wrong. The jury was not nearly as troubled by it as I was. I think Alex Murdoch, his fate was sealed when he lied. A false exculpatory statement is what we call that. A false statement exculpating or tending to show that you are innocent. That's what I mean by a false exculpatory statement. In other words, if I were to say I could not possibly have robbed this store because I was in another town that night. Okay, that's not a confession. A confession is I robbed the store. If there are witnesses or if there is evidence that I was indeed at that store, that I was not in another town, that is a false exculpatory statement. Alex Murdoch said that he was not near the dog kennels at the time of the murders. The jury knows that that's a lie, and that's what did him in more than anything else in my judgment. So was it met in the Alex Murdoch case? Um, no one is ever going to seat me on a jury. They will, I will never be seated on a jury, not just because I'm a lawyer and a former prosecutor, but just I know what things could be and should be. And, and therefore, I see doubt. Is it a reasonable doubt? I don't know. I've never really spent a lot of time thinking about it. But I see doubt. I see gaps. I see holes. I see where things should be more perfect. So I'm a terrible person uh, to tell you whether or not it was met in the Alex Murdoch case. I can tell you based on the speed of the verdict, uh, the jury was not troubled by the case. Well, thank you so much, Trey. And thank you, Bobby, for your question. We'll end on a lighter note. And it's our last question. It's from Charles. He writes, who are your picks for March Madness? Well, my bracket on the men's side was a disaster. I mean, a, a six-month-old could have done a better job. Of pick. I guarantee you, my daughter and my wife, their brackets are better than mine on the men's side. I just, I don't know. I was asking a buddy of mine today, out of the millions of brackets that were completed, how many have the final four on the men's side? And I think he said 26 26 brackets out of the millions done had these final four. Uh, I think that UConn looks really, really good. So, you know, if somebody said you have to bet $10, I probably would bet on UConn, but I would 
Um, no, I would say my wife will not let me bat because I have no confidence in that at all. On the women's side, my bracket looks a lot, lot better. I actually have LSU and South Carolina in the finals. That was more a pick from my heart than my head, although it was somewhat educated pick. I agree with Kim Mulkey. I think South Carolina is head and shoulders better than the other teams. And I think LSU is right in that second tier group. But I I am nervous about the South Carolina game with Iowa. Iowa has an incredibly good offense. They have the national player of the year. I'm worried about that game. I mean, I worry all the time anyway about important things like sports. But we got to get past that game. Um, I'm really, really, really um, proud of what Kim Mulkey has done in a very short period of time in Baton Rouge. I think it was uh, on my other podcast, Mary Langston. Um, I, yeah, I mentioned that I got to go to the LSU-Utah game. She was kind enough to leave uh, tickets for Terry and me. And they're good. I mean, they're good so much quicker than I thought they would be good. I knew she would turn that program around, but I didn't think she'd have them in the Final Four in like less than two years. Iowa scares me. Uh, Vitek is uh, the other team. They look fantastic the other night. Really, really like their coach. Uh, was very impressed with him. So I'm going to go with South Carolina over LSU in the finals. But again, that's that's me um, with what I want. I want those two teams in the finals. I would not at all be surprised if uh, if Iowa plays really, really close to South Carolina and Vitek LSU. I hope people watch even though I'm on television during the national championship game, maybe they'll tape my show and watch the basketball. Um, just really proud of South Carolina, not just that they're undefeated, but if you listen to the interviews of the players on South Carolina's team, um, they, they sound like people that you would want uh, to be your boss or your employee or your next door neighbor. And I love the University of South Carolina and Kim Mulkey. So how all that works out, whoever wins, I'll just come back on next week and tell you that's who I picked. How's that? That'll work. Well, thank you so much, Trey, for answering that question. Well, I didn't answer the Fingers question. Fingers crossed. That's fine. I did not answer the question because my picks are terrible on the men's side. I think I a had... on the ladies. I had Alabama winning it all. on, And I had Baylor going a little deeper than they went. Because I like Scott Drew, but I did not have any of the four teams that are in the final four, much less all four. I did have LSU in South Carolina. <laughs> well, it'll be a big weekend for sure. Uh, it is. And then the Masters is right around the corner and the University mm -hmm. of South Carolina men's baseball team um, is undefeated in SEC play and that spring game coming up. And so lots of things to look forward to. Mm -hmm. And that's we'll end on a happy note, a lighter note. Well, that sounds great. The happiest note of all is that you have agreed never to leave the country again. So uh, thank you for that. I mean, your husband can go all he wants. It's just, you, I agree with your dad. You, you don't need to go anywhere else. Well, I'll be here for a little while, Trey. And thank you again for having me. And thank you all for sending us your questions. They're always so wonderful and make us think. They do make us think. Um, hope everybody has a fantastic week and uh, keep your questions coming and y'all take care. And I hope y'all's teams win. Have a good week. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app.
I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.